Welcome to What She Said. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. It's a special weekend as we celebrate and honor all the wonderful mothers out there. So whether you're a mom yourself or have a special mom in your life, I'm sending all my best wishes for a relaxing and peaceful weekend your way. So wherever you may be, I invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's show. Here's what's coming up. There are few conversations harder to have in life than those that revolve around end-of-life wishes. That's why I'm so pleased to introduce you to Carly Hickey from Ace Planning Company that is here to help make those conversations easier so that there are no surprises down the road. Those who are part of the sandwich generation will definitely want to hear this one. Anne Brody is in with a new entertainment, and this week we chat about the book club, the next chapter, with iconic actresses Jane Fonda, Candace Bergen, Mary Steenburgen, and Diane Keaton in theaters now. The Mother, starring Jennifer Lopez on Netflix, and Cleopatra, a somewhat controversial new documentary from Jada Pinkett Smith, also on Netflix. Melissa Maloney from Happy Leader Enterprises knows being a leader comes with a lot of pressures, whether it's at work, home, or within another organization. She joins me today to share what it looks like to take care of the people who follow you, and as importantly, how to take care of yourself so everyone succeeds. Former Real Housewives of Toronto star Kara Alloway is adding novelist to her resume and she joins me to share a little about her debut novel Most Hated, which offers an insider's peek into the glitzy yet ruthless world of reality TV, providing readers with a roller coaster ride through the highs and lows of female friendships, all in the name of great entertainment. Finally, Anne Brody is back with an interview with Canadian comedian Jay Baruchel, who stars in the new movie Blackberry, which follows the rise and fall of one of Canada's most iconic brands. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now. Tough conversations are not easy to have, particularly when it comes to end-of-life planning. My next guest knows this all too well and is determined to help ease the burden. Carly Hickey is an ICU registered nurse and the founder of ACE Planning Company, an organization dedicated to transforming health preparation and end-of-life care. Carly brings her wealth of knowledge from the front line of critical care and uses it to provide peace of mind through advanced care planning services. She joins me now to share how it all works. Welcome to what she said, Carly. Thank you so much, Candice, for having me. I appreciate it. So this is a fascinating business model to me because it is something that I think personally is so needed. Can you share more about your journey from ICU to entrepreneur and how you identified this very unique need? Yes, absolutely. Um, Thank you for asking. So essentially two years into my career, I started recognizing this pattern that we would have somebody come into the ICU and family would be called to ask um, to guide the direction of care and how we were going with the care team. And families who were prepared with these difficult conversations seemed less ambivalent about the direction, a lot more confident. They tended to have better coping, a little bit more confidence. Um, And of course, they were grieving all the same and there was stress, but their coping just seemed to be different. And if I may say better, as opposed to somebody or the families that were unprepared, There seemed to be a lot of guilt, a lot of confusion, significantly more stress, um, and really ambivalence or indirection on how to proceed with care. And so this this idea has been percolating for about 10 years, and I've attended national conferences and heard the term advanced care planning being thrown around, and more recently um, was invited to publish or co-author an article for publication in uh, 2021 with a group of uh, physicians and end-of-life care experts around the topic of advanced care planning. And that was what really propelled my interest. I always wanted to stay in ICU and work at the bedside, but I did have two kids of my own, and that kind of changed things, the 12 to 13-hour shifts 
you know, didn't really align with the family as much, but I didn't want to stray too far from my 12 years of the specialty that I knew and loved. So I thought this is the perfect time to start this uh, business opportunity. And, um, you know, I think with the way that our healthcare system was going, I also ethically looked ahead to think we are going to have a lot of the boomer generation leaning on our healthcare system. And if I want to start getting these advanced care plans out now, this is this is the time to do it so that we're making sure that we're capturing everyone's wishes. We are empowering them. We were we are guiding their care in a way that is respectful and in alignment with what their wishes are. And so that's where this all came to be. So your company then focuses on having really difficult conversations surrounding expectations of care, values and principles about acceptable acceptable quality of life, end of life wishes. So how do you approach these conversations with people? I mean, do you have some training in having these conversations? I have done some additional education around um, the palliative care approach and having these you know, more sensitive discussions. I've observed a lot of these discussions over the years. And also even as a bedside registered nurse working in intensive care, you learn the soft skills when you're working with families in these states. You learn how to talk to them. Um, and so I think that between my professional experience and my academic preparation, as well as having a master's of nursing uh, graduate degree, all of these things formed the ability to to have these conversations. And certainly I am having ongoing education in terms of you know, patient navigation certification and um, interviewing skills. I pursue all of those on my own time as well to make sure that my client and the families have a very good experience. Um, all that to say, there isn't a lot of people doing this in, in this industry. And so, I know that there are people who have established this. I am not the first, and I credit, you know, everything that they've done so far to get advanced care planning to where it is today and respect them so much. Many of us have started working together, and what I really like about it is everyone is just so supportive because we know of the importance that families really need to have these conversations. And so all that to say... I'm sort of also finding my way, bringing in the professional experiences that I've had, the life experience that I have too, and and going from there, as well as a lot of research. <laughs> with, you know, with advancements in life support and, and biomedical technology, because as I, was, as I was preparing for this interview, I was thinking, you know, some conversations you must have are going to be easier than others, right? And when it comes to those really complex issues, um, how do your planning guides help families make those decisions? So um, we start, I've created four pillars to frame these conversations around. So the first is uh, around estate planning, legal document preparation, and that's really easy to discuss and a really great way to start off these conversations. You know, do you have a will? Do you have a power of attorney? Do you know who your substitute de decision makers are? These are all really easy things to discuss. Then we, if they're a business owner, do you have a business succession plan? Do you, if something were to happen to you, how would your business operate or continue to operate? I then move into health promotion and illness prevention. So we talk about the current Canadian recommendations on preventative health care. And I go over things like, have you, do you know your diabetes risk? Have you completed the CAN risk diabetes questionnaire? Do you have a family doctor? When was the last time you checked your blood pressure? Just little things that over my experience in ICU I've seen have gone missed for a number of years and suddenly they wind up in the intensive care unit with a major heart attack that could have otherwise been avoided. The next pillar is what I call active care management planning. This is all to do with discussions around one's quality of life expectations, values, limitations to suffering, um, what they would consider appropriate care if they were no longer independent, where they would want to spend their last 10 years of their life, because those tend to be the most frail. Uh, what are their wishes about organ donation? 
et cetera. And we continue along that conversation line. It's not perfect. It's not exactly the same conversation because of course there is that interpersonal dynamic that offers a different line of questioning. But for the most part, um, this is what we discuss. I also offer a pre-screening questionnaire and that's intended to avoid any harm. So if there's a client who takes this questionnaire and they say, you know, I have a lot of healthcare anxiety. I get really stressed out when we talk about death, et cetera, et cetera. This is probably not the right conversation for you. And as a registered nurse, I don't want to cause any harm. And so I do tend to screen those individuals that may have a negative experience from our interaction and, and try to avoid that way. I can also change the line of questioning to avoid topics that the client may not wish to discuss, but also address other things. Like if they want to talk about their wills or powers of attorney, we can do that. And the last pillar is discussing end-of-life planning. So this talks about your spiritual wishes, your religious wishes, and people may not be spiritual or religious when they're healthy, but I have seen where that aspect of things becomes very comforting when end of life is approaching. So there's, I say, you know, would you like the sacrament of the sick or your last rites read? And we document that because family may not know that. We also talk about the preferences between funeral arrangements, burial, cremation, a celebration of life. One individual recently mentioned that they would love to, if they had time, they would really like to have a party to say goodbye to their loved ones, which I thought was so beautiful. And I'm learning a lot of, of different things in this line of work too. So I think, so that's end of life planning. We also go into detail about if you say, for instance, would like to be cremated, what is the location? What's the time of day? What is, you know, who would you like to be there? Et cetera, et cetera. Try to get all the, all of those details so that there's no question when families are pursuing or um, carrying out this advanced care plan that they're doing it in a way that respects everything that you would have wanted. I I, th I just think this is such a great uh, idea and concept because I've just anecdotally what I've seen amongst my friends and even in my own personal life. I mean, I cannot have an end of life conversation with my parents without absolutely breaking down into a complete puddle. It's very difficult. So how wonderful that you are there to help facilitate that conversation. So needed, Carly. I just, I'm really impressed with this. So thank you. Um, I want people to be able to find out more, uh, connect with you. Where can they do that? So I am pretty active on my Instagram, which is at Ace Planning Co. And I Put a lot of educational materials on there and I try to make those educational materials very palatable, very fresh and oriented to the sandwich generation who are parents who are raising children but also caring for their aging parents uh, and I try to make it in such a way that you're not going to see doom and gloom when you're scrolling through Instagram because that's not what anyone wants. However, I do want to try to get this message out there in a way that's going to be well well received. So I would say Instagram is where I'm most active. Facebook, also Ace Planning Company, I, it can be found there. My website www.aceplanningco.com is another great resource. It connects all of my socials as well. And I also have all kinds of resources on there for you to look at if you're interested. Absolutely. Incredible. Okay. We're going to put all of the links uh, in the podcast uh, when it goes live on podcast. Uh, and thank you so much for joining me today, Carly. Thank you so much for your time, Candace. I appreciate it. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming right up. CareToKnow.ca is a free resource where Canadians receive the latest health information, updates on new and existing treatments, and advice from Canadian doctors via email. After enrolling at CareToKnow.ca, you'll receive accurate and reliable information from trusted Canadian medical experts delivered directly to your inbox. Members can also access the website for information on a variety of health-related topics. Through resources like vodcasts, podcasts, and live webinars, Canadian experts discuss how to manage a number of medical conditions and provide the latest knowledge and advice to help you make informed decisions about your family's health with your own healthcare provider. 
to sign up and start learning more about the health matters that impact you most. Enroll in caretoknow.ca today. And now back to Candace Sampson and what she said. Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Anne Brody. And this week, Anne's got a look at Book Club over on the website. And I got to tell you, I am so excited to see these four women together again. Oh, yeah. It's uh, in a, a treat. Movie. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Jane Fonda seems to be everywhere right now. I know. How does she do it? She's 80 something. How does she get the energy? And she seems so energetic. I want I want access to her plastic surgeon because she looks incredible. I know, right? Yeah, not overdone. She looks so good. It's- yeah, and and the other women too, like Candice Bergen, Mary Steenburgen. Um, who am I missing? There's one other. Uh, Diane Keaton. Diane Keaton. Oh yeah. These women are are ageless. Yeah, they are. And they really are showing how to live their best life. You know, at any age, it's so great to see. Oh. So I can't wait to read. And just one you. comment about Jane Fonda: she, her entire life has been dedicated to fitness and healthy eating and living. So you know, there's the proof it works. She is the poster child for healthy yeah. living. So absolutely, um, I really want to talk about BlackBerry because what a story! I can't believe this made it to the oh screen. Oh my word! I had no idea. I, I I was a Palm Pilot person, and actually, I was really surprised by the level of sophistication and total smarts this film has. It's a story of the rise and fall of BlackBerry that happened um, right here in Ontario. Um, Jay Baruchel's a comic, you know, he's very edgy. Matt Johnson, the filmmaker, is like a, a wild child, but they made this incredibly sophisticated film about the events that occurred around this. And of course, uh, Jim Basile is, is shown in the film, played by Glenn Howerton, as an absolute rage-filled person who, who must succeed and whose rage was eating him alive. I didn't know that. <laughs> and uh, the research and motion team going from a happy-go-lucky bunch who, who made millions, each employee made millions in this little strip mall store in, in um, Waterloo and going from that to being completely managed and sort of managed into the ground. Uh, you know, uh, Basili comes in, takes over the place, brings in a thug to, to look after security to stop people from having fun and, you know, squelching their creativity. And then the Americans come to call. What a story. It's, it's a cautionary tale about corporate greed and bullying. Um, and you, f- you really feel sorry for the founders, played by Jay Baruchel and Matt Johnson, who also directs. So, you know, this is really good stuff. Drop everything and see it. Excellent. I, actually, I cannot wait to see this one. Um, and it's Mother's Day weekend, so it's fitting that we're talking about the mother with J-Lo. And what a mother. Oh, Lord. She plays a spy and assassin who'd been trained in a lot of the Middle East wars. She's got a warfare down to a science. Um, she has to be alone. She can't make friends. Oh, and she was pregnant when she was stabbed in the stomach by an enemy years prior. Uh, the baby was taken away from her immediately to keep it out of danger and adopted out in the States. Well, she is now, you know, 15, 12, 15 years later, she's understanding that her daughter is in danger because they want to terrorize her because of her power in the uh, espionage world. So um, it's incredibly violent. Part of it takes place in Alaska where she goes to live anonymously. Part of it takes place, well, in all kinds of spots around the world and you see what a fighter she is. But she, <laughs> she eventually has to find and protect her daughter. Um, and it's about a mother's love and a mother who can't truly be with her daughter or tell her who she was or is and must live away from her. So it's kind of heart-wrenching, but it's also J-Lo. I mean, her physicality is incredible. She's 53 years old. She can do anything. I'm just so proud of what she's accomplished. You know, like Jane Fonda, she she lived right, and she has the strength to show it. She's an inspiration. 
Um, there's a lot going on. It's she's a phenomenon, and again, you know, it's worth seeing. It's on Netflix, but with the warning that there is plenty of violence. All right, excellent. Uh, we have time for one more, and I really want to touch on uh, Cleopatra, which is a documentary, and you say it's a little bit controversial. It's quite contra- controversial. Now, uh, Cleopatra, also known as Cleopatra, was a Macedonian. And apparently there have been um, protests in Egypt because she's portrayed by a black woman. And they say that she was not black. She was she was Greek. Uh, so that's one part of it. And also what we didn't know about Cleopatra could fill, you know, 10 books. And this is produced by Jada Pinkett Smith, who's doing this Queens of Africa series. Um, and, you know, the reenactments are kind of corny and kind of dumb but they have these incredible history uh archaeology egyptology and nubian studies experts on and they bring her story to life and what a life i mean everything we've seen in hollywood particularly the elizabeth taylor movie is pure rot there's no truth to it so you'll learn a lot watching what happened to her in 51 bc and how at 17 she became king and married her brother and how she was deposed and and what happened in her life. So I, I won't give anything else away, but it's really interesting. All right. I've added that one to my list. I'm a huge history buff, so I can't wait to see it. And you have uh, these and more uh, over on the website, but you'll be back next week with a whole bunch of new entertainment for us. So we'll see you next Saturday. Happy Mother's Day, Candace. Thank you. Today, I have the pleasure of hosting a remarkable leader who has dedicated over two decades of her career to fostering highly engaged and successful teams. Melissa Maloney is an award-winning sales and operations executive whose dynamic boots-on-the-ground approach has led to significant strides in health, wellness, and employee well-being. With an impressive track record that spans startups, scale-ups, and corporate environments, she is the founder of Happy Leader Enterprises and the co-founder of All Women Lead. Melissa's goal is to ensure action and results-based learning in the realms of leadership, relationship building, productivity, and sales. Melissa, welcome to the show. Hello. So for today's conversation, could we just take a moment to expand our understanding of leadership, because it's not solely confined to the business realm, right? Definitely. I really look at leadership and try to position leadership as we are all leaders. So thinking about it from the perspective of anybody who has influence over somebody else ultimately has the responsibility that comes with that leadership title. Um, so it could be friends, it could be children, it could be part your partner, um, it, and obviously that traditional work relationship as well. But for the most part, we all have the ability to lead in our lives and we all tend to lead at some level in our life somewhere. So I really think um, opening up that definition of leadership and not confining it to work is really, really important. Yeah, because these skills that you teach are applicable across any sort of relationship that you might be in. So can you share with us, share with us the philosophy that underpins your approach to leadership? Definitely. I think everything that I I do is really, it starts with that foundation of relationships. Um, I spent a lot of years in my career, I'll say being criticized. I'll put in air quotes for for how I led. I I have performance reviews that spoke to being successful my way. And that way was with caring and compassion um, and empathy. How dare you? I know it's crazy. (laughs) And so I think it's really important that um, if we really operate, I, I kind of operate from two different perspectives that that really guide how I look at people and how I approach things. I believe everybody is doing their best. I just think if you start from the position that people are doing their best, it helps to really open up opportunity. And I just believe, I say be a good human a lot, because I just believe that if we treat people well, it will work out for everybody. And so I think when you sort of have that foundation of goodness, it opens up the opportunity for where we can take things um, at work in particular, but in all aspects of our lives. 
you talk about the importance of taking care of your people. So can you share um, a bit more about what that looks like in practice and why it's so crucial? For sure. I think when we look at leadership or when we look at taking care of our team members, it really comes from a place of understanding what's important to them. I think if we think back to business and leadership, let's call it 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it was very much, what does the business need? And and it started with this sort of top down, this is what the business needs, and then it would trickle down to everybody else. I really operate on the inverse side of that, where it's what do our people need? Because if we take care of our people, they will take care of our customers and that will take care of our bottom line and our business. And so it's really looking for those opportunities to make sure we're supporting people and what's most valued to them. How can we help them find um, balance, which is a terrible word and I don't like it, (laughs) but find that balance of understanding this is the thing that if we don't give it to them, there there might be some level of resentment. And I look at trying to um, operate from a point of my role is to help them get what they need in their life and have that satisfaction in their life outside of work. Because if I can create that for them, they will deliver so much more inside the four walls of work for me than they will ever do if they don't have that. Yeah. And resentment is a relationship killer, no matter where you are. So really important to avoid that. Uh, You talk about inclusion and psychological safety at work as significant points. Uh, So how can leaders create an inclusive environment? And why is it so critical for employees well-being and productivity? For sure. For me, I've done a lot of research and spent a lot of time talking about energy systems. And I always feel like I have to say, not like fluffy, like zen-like energy. It really is just the the energy that is within our bodies. Um, So it's physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. And emotional is really where that psychological safety comes in. So the emotional energy system is impacted by feeling trusted and feeling safe. And so when we think about any relationship that we have and what makes us feel like it is safe and what makes it feel like we trust it, it's things like I can say what I think and know that it's okay. It's the ability to bring my true self and be who I really am. It's the ability to safely be vulnerable. And so you think about those things and in any aspect of life, take it out of the work environment. Would we have a relationship? Would we want to be in a relationship where we can't bring our true selves, where we can't say what we think, where we can't be openly vulnerable and not be accepted? And for the most part, most of us would say, no, I don't want that. So why do we expect people to come into the workplace and then not have those things? And so I really look at it as when we create that level of safety, not only are people going to go home at the end of the day, not feeling exhausted from trying to have to manage all of that yuckiness that can surround them in an environment that isn't like that. But think about how much wasted time there is. If every time I go to send an email, I have to second guess myself and am I saying the right thing? Or every time I go into a meeting, I'm not able to actually contribute ideas that could be million dollar ideas that nobody knows about. Like there is a a bottom line impact when we don't create a space for people to be that way and to be truly themselves. You touched a little bit on, uh, you know, what the employer uh, expects, but there's been a real shift in the workplace and employees are expecting a lot more. I And I read it every day. I laugh a little bit because I read it every day that employers are incredibly frustrated, but this shift is, I don't think it's going away. So tell me then what that looks like for employees now. Why are their expectations suddenly so much higher? You know, I think... Number one, we're in a world right now where there are truly more jobs than employees so that it shifts, it shifts the market and it gives somebody else the upper hand if we want to be really just practical about it. But I also think uh, I'm actually a little bit jealous of the younger generations. Like I'm a good Gen Xer. Like I, I go to work, I work the long hours, I 
put in my time. Like I, I'll earn my way up. Like I, I, I'm a good Gen Xer and sort of following that traditional expectation that was, I think, like built into us as yeah, we were absolutely. And then I look at my son who's like, now I work like 10, 20 hours a week. And, and, but he's willing to sacrifice things in order to have that lifestyle. And he's willing to take risks that I would have never taken risks about. And I, I look at uh, my friends and I'm like, I think he might be smarter than us. Like, I really, I, I think it's this, we're in a really interesting shift in dynamic right now where the, the I, now I feel old, the younger people coming up, but I think they're creating a different world of work. And I think there was a lot of frustration around it. And I've, I defended millennials from the get-go because I'm like, no, it's not a bad thing for people to say, this is what I need to feel good at work. Why is that a bad thing? We don't expect people to, to sacrifice and settle in other areas of their life. So the fact that we've created this like weird structure and system that says, I must continue to work crazy hours and get to be a CEO. And like, it's, it's not where everybody wants to be. And I think we're in this new world where people are comfortable saying, that's not what I want, which means we now have to step back and go, okay, this is who's in our workplaces right now. How do we make it work? And I think we just need to embrace it because we're going to get so much farther ahead. And the ideas that can come out of, uh, out of, every different generation in a workplace to help build a business. There's, if we can create a world where the generations actually can communicate and work together, there's awesome stuff that's going to come out of that. And it, yeah, it's scary and it's not comfortable for everybody, but it's possible. So last question then, because, you know, I want to shift from the well-being of the employee to the well-being of the leader or the employer, because it can be exhausting to constantly be monitoring everybody else's emotional state. So how do you encourage leaders to, to, to pursue self-care themselves? That's the foundation of the happy leader method. Like the happy leader starts with be your best self. That is the foundation of what I talk about and what I do. I, and I don't, I spent a lot of years in fitness and wellness. So I, I think people naturally think I'm going to be like, work out. Uh, um, but I, I just say like, eat, move, sleep, like take care of that side of stuff. But it really is about, figuring out for yourself, how do I prioritize my own time? How do I make sure that I do take the time for the things that bring me wellness, whether that's meditation, whether that's journaling, whether that's walking, whether that's sitting at a, at a lake, whatever that is, but how do you create your best self? Because if you don't have the energy for yourself, you definitely don't have the energy for others. So it is that like oxygen mask theory, you got to put your own oxygen mask on first before you help the others around you. But it is for me, that's where that energy system and energy management really comes from. As a leader, step one is managing your own energy system. So you actually have energy to give to others. And until you get to that point, you might give to others, but you're probably giving to others at a detriment to yourself, or you're not giving fully. It's that like, somebody sitting talking to you, but you're looking at the screen on the other side to, to, because you're worried about what's happening over here. And can you really be a great leader? If you're not focused, if you're distracted, if you're exhausted, like, I just don't believe you can be, I think we've got to take care of ourselves to put ourselves in that position to take care of others. I could sit and talk to you all day. Uh, you are a breath of fresh air. So I want people to be able to connect with you and find out more about working with you. So what? how's the best way to, for them to do that? For sure. So the website is happyleader.ca. Super simple. Um, that's also all of my handles, except for Twitter. Uh, <laughs> on Twitter, it's happyleader1. If anybody knows who has Happy Leader, I would love it. Um, <laughs> but I'm super reachable and it's Melissa Maloney on LinkedIn. I do tend to um, post most of my content comes, from, comes through LinkedIn, um, but it's definitely out there on Instagram and Facebook as well. All right. Incredible. Melissa, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. More of What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up. 
Are you looking for authentic, high-quality and handcrafted seal fur and leather products created by Canadian Indigenous fashion designers and artists? Look no further than Proudly Indigenous Crafts and Designs, or Pick and D for short. Their e-commerce platform celebrates and showcases the skill and creativity of Indigenous fashion designers and artists. These innovative artists combine traditional sewing techniques with a contemporary approach to create modern and timeless accessories, footwear, clothing, and home decor products. And when you buy from Pick and D, you are not just getting a beautiful and authentic seal product, you're also supporting Indigenous communities. Proudly Indigenous products are natural, eco-friendly and of the highest quality. So visit ProudlyIndigenousCrafts.com today and experience the beauty of Indigenous craftsmanship. Pick and D, proudly showcasing Indigenous fashion and supporting Indigenous communities. Now, back to Candace Sampson and what she said. You might recognize my next guest from her time on The Real Housewives of Toronto or her work as a respected journalist, fashion magazine editor-in-chief, and on-air personality. But today, Kara Alloway is joining us wearing another hat, that of a novelist. Her debut novel, Most Hated, is set to hit the shelves on May 30th, and published by Rebooks Publishing, it offers an insider's peek into the glitzy yet ruthless world of reality TV, providing readers with a role roller coaster ride through the highs and lows of female friendships all in the name of great entertainment. Kara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. What a great intro. <laughs> this is your debut novel. Um, can you give us a brief overview of the plot and what inspires you to delve into the world of reality TV? Although I think I know. <laughs> Well, there's that old adage, right? Uh, write what you know. So there was that. I had always wanted to write a novel about female relationships. I come from a family of mostly girls, mostly girl cousins, very female-centric, went to an all-girls school. I always knew I would write a novel about female friendships because they have fascinated me, interestingly enough, since the playground. Watching, observing other interactions amongst girls, the cliques, all of that. So I just didn't know what the setting was going to be. I thought, you know, maybe it'll be university, maybe it'll be a school. And then I did Housewives. And I have to tell you, I knew I had found my setting. I said, this is brilliant. But I am quick to add, it is not a calculated tell-all. I had someone the other day, a bookseller, say, well, our, our readers don't really like those kinds of books. And I said, no, no, this is not... Uh, an autobiography. This is not a calculated tell-all. There are no characters within the pages here that are similar to uh, characters on Housewives past or present. I cast the book, the story myself. Who would I want to see on this reality show? And while we deal in the narrative with six women who sign on to do a revamped version of a well-worn reality television show called Talk of the Town, the, the book has layers. So we, we follow these women, the ones behind and in front of the cameras through the day-to-day -day of filming. And I give a peek behind the curtain, which I think is interesting for anyone that watches reality television. Oh, okay, I never thought about that. I never thought that's how they did it. You know, interesting things that the viewer might not necessarily register when watching the show. But aside from that, there are, as I say, layers. So after I did Housewives, I was really in... Uh, in the eye of a tornado, I guess you'd say I was I was spinning and um, I read a book by Dr. Phyllis Chesler and it's called Woman's Inhumanity to Woman and it's a very controversial book and it's funny because the intro is maybe seven pages long wherein Dr. Chesler spends seven pages saying I'm sorry ladies, I'm sorry women, I'm sorry sisterhood for writing this but it's been in my gut for many years and it needs to be said. And what she explores, what I experienced, and what I delve into and informs the characters in my book is the concept of internalized female misogyny, which is women interacting with other women in a way that's not so nice. And I experienced it. I have delivered it. I've been on both ends of it, the giving and the receiving. And I felt it was a topic that really would add that next level to my book, to my narrative, and to the characters. And I think it's got a lot of people talking because the the early reviews, the, the people who have read the advanced copies 
are talking about it a lot, saying, you know what, I, I, I can relate. I've been there, a little bit of confession and a little bit of I've experienced that. I've had so many of the advanced readers come to me and say, I was on the receiving end of that. Thanks, because it, it's not nice. Yeah, the title Most Hated is, is quite striking. Uh, can you talk about its significance and how it relates to the story you're telling? Absolutely. Um, so every, it, it, there's there's also levels to the title. First of all, I'll say this. I give 100% credit to the title to my youngest son. I was throwing around a whole bunch of different titles for the book. Oh, I don't know, you know, maybe Champagne Problems, and eh, that's a little precious. I, the, the Realist Housewife, I don't know. And he said, Mom, you were the most hated. Why don't you just call it Most Hated? And I went, ouch truth. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Because nobody (laughs) wants to be the most hated. And I went into Housewives a serial pleaser. He's also a recovering pleaser. So we relate on that level a lot. So to be called the most hated, to go in being a pleaser thinking, I'm going to put my best face forward. Everybody's going to love me and I'm going to share my life. And then to realize, oh, no, no, you're going to be the most hated. You're going to be the villain as a pleaser, that is like a sucker punch. But it was such an incredible arc for me, such an incredible growth experience, so much learning, because what I discovered is when I was a pleaser, I always thought, oh, I just want everyone to be happy. And you know, this is me, I'm like Snow White with the birds on my shoulder. <laughs> but the life of a pleaser is wrapped up in a lot of vanity. And that became very clear to me. Not everyone's gonna like you, Kara. And you have to be okay with that. It's interesting also when the show came out, a, a journalist, Shanann Govani, wrote an article and he <laughs> compared me to Pesto. He said, some people like her, some people don't like her, but everyone has an opinion on her. And I always laugh now and say to my girlfriends, what condiment would you say you are if you had to pick a condiment? But it was interesting because the title of his article was Most Loved and Most Hated Housewife. And I think that speaks so much. I heard Alanis Morissette recently say, like, you know, my parents said, There's going to be these many people that are going to like you. There's going to be these many people that are going to loathe you. So you might as well just go, okay, I'll live my own life and let the chips land where they may. Solid, solid advice. I love that. Kara, I want people to be able to connect with you and obviously read this book. I can't wait to read it myself now. Uh, So where can they do that and how can they keep up with you? Absolutely. So it's available for pre-order right now. The book releases May 30th. Pre-orders are everything. Um, Jenna Bush on her show, Good Good Morning America, has been so good about telling everyone and through her book club that pre-orders are the lifeblood of authors. They dictate an algorithm that helps distributors know where the book should be sold. So I had never pre-ordered a book before in my life, and now I'm all about the pre-order. So I'm going to show you this fabulous cover here for those who are watching Most Hated. It's available through Amazon. Barnes and Noble, several independent bookstores are also carrying it. Um, In Canada, there's Blue Heron, there's Georgian Bay Books, there's Mill Street Books, there's Book City, I'm not gonna be able to name all of them, Type Books in the Junction and Forest Hill. But also if you go to caraalloway.com, there are a lot of ways you can order it and you can find it there. And please connect with me. Margaret Atwood said, writers write to evoke. We, We write because We want to hear from the reader what you're thinking. Please connect with me. Let me know. You can find me on Instagram at Kara Alloway, and I would love to hear back. All right. Incredible. Thank you so much, Kara. You have been a delight. Thank you. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming right up. Now, back to Candace Sampson and what she said. Anne Brody had the opportunity to interview Jay Baruchel, host of LOL on Prime and star of Blackberry, a new movie which follows the rise and fall of this iconic Canadian company. Brace yourself for a few bleeps. Hello there. Hi, how are you? Hi. Great. Hey, Canada. Nice to see you. Good to see you. What a terrific film. I mean, it's a it's a cautionary tale, a, a business thriller, um, social commentary. And, uh, you know, the level of sophistication is absolutely out of this world. So Thank congratulations. Thanks Thank very you much. Thank you. Yeah. Now, um, Jay, uh, Mike leads us through the Blackberry story. Um, his his uh, journey 
from the exhilaration and the fun of the early days to the darkness of the later days is, uh -huh. uh, you know, quite, quite astounding. And it's so parallel. So he and he's our touchstone. Um, did, did you, what was it like transforming that character so incredibly in a contrast? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, first of all, thanks for the kind words. I really appreciate that you got the movie the way that we meant it to be, you know, like you, 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 you watched the movie we made. So I, I appreciate that. I, I, um, yeah, it was exhilarating. It's, it's the kind of thing that you, you know, I, I, it's why you're an actor, as hokey as that sounds, you know, I'm, I, um, I, I've been very fortunate, done some shit I love, done some shit I don't love, but, but this is like why someone, I think, ostensibly, like, goes to theater school, is to get to play characters like this, you know, and um, to, to help to, to work with my my director, uh, you know, and uh, with MJ to sort of craft and map out this kind of arc, at least the the, the broad strokes of it, the, the the little iterations of him, you know, I, I leave that to to MJ. I just don't have the brain to sort of follow that. But the big the big shifts is like super fun, and and the fact that we have this canvas of was it started in '96 and it goes to like where past 2010 or something like yeah 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 it's like a, is it? yeah something like that okay so 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 this this we have this broad sort of temporal canvas to paint on um and 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 even the look the look in this you know starts like different and then gets super arch and so there's like for, for all of its kind of um it's mumblecore vibes and how punk rock it is and how greasy it is and how rough around the edges. It's also very fucking Wagner and Puccini. It's, it is like a, it is an absolute epic. And, and so anyway, so your question is what's it like to figure that out is just like, it's a blast. Would, would that every fucking gig required this shit? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, our show, what she said is aimed at women 35 plus. We were the ones who were out there with Blackberries, with Palm Pilots, who knew that all this, you know, incredible Wagnerian stuff was going on behind the scenes. Crazy, um, right? In any way, would you characterize that sort of a Canada business, US business kind of a thing? Or am I just Oh, I don't know. I, I, I also think it's like, you know, in real life, in real time, it plays out in a far less, like, I don't know that anybody there would be able to see the romance as it's happening, you know, because it's yeah. like, you know, it, it is, it's, it's only in hindsight, it's only with the passage of time and it's only with other people not directly involved that you can start to see a thing. You know, you can see a, a, a time period become a movie or become a book or become a poem. When, when you're in the midst of it, it's hard to get a bead on that. So I don't know that it's specific. I don't know that it's a cultural thing. I think it's just, um, you know, we don't what I think what makes it so surprisingly operatic is that a lot of these guys are not household names and the movie ends. The story ends with something of a, a tragedy, at least business wise. And and iPhone has given the world a certain degree of like amnesia about the world before iPhone, you know, and and so I, I think that all of these things kind of help inform how crazy a fucking story this is kidding and glenn you play jim belzile um very angry man very uh, just full of rage and determined to to gain position um is that what you learned about him and i mean if that was did he say anything did he address that when he attended the premiere uh, he didn't address that when he attended the premiere. He did seem to address it a little bit in an interview that he had done prior to, uh, or after having seen it the first time, um, you know, sort of implying like a better sense of humor than, than the way I'm portrayed in the film. But he's been, he's been, you know, he's been great about the whole thing. I mean, really like it, it, it was just uh, trying to approach the character with, having the sort of intensity that I think it takes to, to push through all the obstacles that you have to push through to create something great and to really achieve the heights of, of, uh, of, of business in the way that, that uh, research in motion and, and Blackberry did uh, you have to, you have to be 
you have to have tremendous fight in you to pull that off. I guess you do. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Um, I worked in a newsroom and there was quite a bit of that. Because <laughs> of the deadlines. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, the, the worst the worst combination is is uh someone who acts the way Jim acts and is kind of stupid and but thinks yeah. that they're really smart. That's the worst version of it. Um, you know, but the best the best version of it, if there is a good version of it, is the kind where you know, somebody creates a, a product that that really changes the world and pushes the world forward in terms of technology. You know, some may say for, for worse, for the worse, uh, you know, but uh, it was inevitable and you can understand, you can certainly get behind him and understand why he's doing what he's doing if you don't always agree with how he's doing it. Yep. Very interesting. What a, and a very bold performance. Thank you, both Thank of you. you. What a wonderful film and best of luck with it. Thank you so much. Lovely Thank to, you. To, to meet Thank you and thanks you. for the kind words. Thank you, Anne. That's it for What She Said this week. Stay up to date with my newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also catch me on TikTok at Candace Said. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson wherever you listen to podcasts to catch past episodes and extended interviews. I'll be back next week with more What She Said. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. Come on a journey like no other where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.